Welcome again to another edition of Divided We Fall right here on Channel 15. I want to thank you for tuning in to the broadcast. You can catch us at ps121ministries at outlook.com, ps121ministries at outlook.com. You can also check out the brand new website, bethlehemchurchna.com, bethlehemchurchna.com for all your ministry and worship needs. Um, we're going to continue our discussion in the prodigal son. Uh, I know we've had some sporadic weeks um, in the, the hot days of summer. We're going to continue right where we picked up, uh, left off, excuse me. We were in chapter 15 of Luke. We've spent time talking about reasons why the prodigal left the father's home. We talked about three potential friends that might have talked him into leaving. We talked about the pocketbook friend and the popularity friend and the opportunity friend. And then we talked about how when he was off in that far country, the Bible says when he had spent all, he began to be in want. We talked about the transition between wealth to want and where these three friends were uh, at this point in his life. And then we began to talk about um, the thought process that went on uh, in the middle of this transition period when he went from having everything that he could ever possibly want, all the friends, all the, uh, the popularity, all the money, to uh, not even being able to afford regular food, having to uh, uh, design, not even being able to afford food that wasn't regular, but the scraps, and wishing he could have just a little bit of scraps in order to eat. We talked about the psychology. I, I made mention at the beginning of this series that I wasn't going to be able to teach you anything new. This is a story that um, everybody knows and everybody's heard messages from a thousand times. That was not my intention to teach you anything new. My intention was to teach you about the psychology. Sometimes in stories when we read scripture, we get so caught up in uh, the, the end from the beginning, knowing where it's going and knowing how it ends, that we become desensitized to what's really going on. And that makes it difficult for us to relate to characters. Sometimes we end up having to be the prodigal, our very self, before we can actually understand what Jesus is trying to teach us about the Father. And so what I want to point out is not something new from the story, but the story as it unfolds. I want to point out the psychology in the prodigal so you can understand where his mindset was. Then we began to talk about uh, this decision that he made, the Bible says, when he had come to himself or when he had come to his senses, we started talking about that decision that he made and some things that he would have to do first in order for him to find restoration and redemption from his father. Some things that he had to face. And a couple of weeks ago we talked about he had to face his sin. He said uh, in Luke 15, he says in verse 17, but when he had come to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. He said, I have sinned and I've sinned against God first and then also I've sinned against you. We talked about how he had to face his sin and we made mention that uh, if we as church people, if we as Christians and Bible believing people would actually uh, face our own sin and admit when it is us that's messed up, when it is our mistakes and not play the blame game, we could get a lot more accomplished in our churches, in our homes, in our communities, and societies. Now, let me uh, reiterate something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When it comes to Judgment Day, there will be no finger pointing. Okay, 
The only person God's going to look at when it comes to your sin. Now, we define sin as the choices that you make that are counter to what God asks you to do. The choices that you make that are counter to God's word. The only person that God is going to be looking at when it comes to your sin is you. The prodigal could have blamed the prostitutes. He could have blamed his family and his friends. He could have even blamed God, but he said, I have sinned. And then the next time we met, we talked about his facing of his fear. He says, I've I've sinned against heaven before you, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. We talked about how last time the prodigal was in a far country. Okay, He was not somewhere close to home. It's not like he went from Mississippi to Alabama. It's not like he went from Pontotoc to New Albany. It's not even like he went you know, uh, into different parts of the county or different parts of the state. The Bible says he was in a far country. Now, I don't know if that means uh, Mississippi to Texas or Mississippi to California or if we're talking about several months journey. I don't know. Um, but the Bible says it was far and that it was a far country. And that tells me this guy is, is so poor that he's having to try to uh, 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 work feeding the swine, which is one of the lowest jobs he could have possibly have gotten, in order to just survive. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the very things that the swine was eating. So he doesn't have enough money probably to buy a horse or a camel. Or maybe he was saving up the money that he was working for, so he could buy. I don't know. The point is, it was going to take him a long time to get home. And there were some things he was going to have to face. Maybe there was a a, a misguided situation. Maybe a, a misled. Maybe a, a missed opportunity. Maybe is what I'm trying to say. Maybe he missed his opportunity. What happens if he got home and his dad was dead? Or what happens if he got home and the whole family is picked up and moved? What happens if he gets home and something has changed and nobody was able to find him and get word to him? And then we said maybe it was a misread situation, misread opportunity. What if he got home and the father said, I don't love you anymore? What if, what if that happened? What if he said, I don't love you anymore? Um... And we talked about how, you know, most people don't think that that's even possible for a father to do that. A co-worker of mine told me this story this week, and, you know, with me fixing to be a, a new dad, I kind of just I kind of just did the best I could to just uh, block the story out because I didn't want to think of it, pos- it being possible. There was a man in Jackson, I believe it was, who was arrested for killing, beating, and killing his son, because he did not get a math problem right. And according to my co-worker, the, the, the story that he read said that he gave the investigators this bit of information. He told his son that life was hard and he was going to have to be tough in order to survive. Don't tell me that there, are crappy, that there aren't crappy fathers and crappy parents in this world because there are. And the prodigal son said, what happens if I get home and dad doesn't want to have anything to do with me? He has every right to push me away and say I'm done with you, what happens? Friend, we we got a lot of people out there in the world who have the same fear toward our Heavenly Father. I've done too much in my past. I've done too much bad things. I was thinking about that father after, even though I didn't want to, I was thinking about that father as he sits in prison and all the things that might happen to him if people knew what he did. And, 
you know, I got to thinking, the man needs Jesus beyond any shadow of a doubt. He needs Jesus. But I'm not sure how he will ever be able to feel like God will forgive him, even though we serve a forgiving God. And I can relate in a lot of ways to how the prodigal felt as he faced his fear. But this evening, I want us to talk about another thing that he had to face. Not only did he have to face his sin, not only did he have to face his fear, but he had to face his reality. His sin, his fear, his reality. Look at uh, verse 19. Luke 15 says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, I want you to understand something here. There was never supposed to be a moment in this young man's life where he was to, supposed to lose his sonship and pick up a hired servant or a slave. He was never supposed to make that transition. Okay, The son should never have become the slave. That is not how it is ever designed to be. Jacob did not want Joseph sold into slavery. It was not his design. Abraham did not want to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. It was not his purpose. It wasn't what he set out to do. This was not the plan. But you know, the prodigal got to thinking... Maybe less on the uh, maybe less on the grounds of I could get home and Dad could be dead or he could be hurt or he could be dying or he could be moved. Maybe he thought if that happens, there's not a whole lot I can do about it anyway. There's not a whole lot I can do to change it. I'm getting home as as fast as I can, as cautiously as I can. Maybe he was thinking on the grounds of what happens if Dad doesn't love me anymore. And he kept thinking back to those servants. He kept thinking back to those hired slaves, to those people who just did the father's bidding, who just kind of did chores and, and had the low jobs and cleaned the toilets and washed the, the dirty clothes and, and fixed the meals and washed the... He thought about those hired servants who did the hard work, putting up the fence and taking care of this and taking care of that. <coughs> And you know what? Maybe, he said, maybe if my father won't forgive me, maybe he'll at least let me work for him on the bottom of the totem pole. Let me get to just, let me, let me just get to the bottom. Let me just get to the slavery position. I, I don't deserve to be called your son. I don't deserve to be in the family. I don't deserve to have any special treatment or special rights. Let me just be at the bottom. Make me like one of your hired servants. I want you to understand a couple of things. First thing. It was sin that turned the son into a slave. Now the Bible is very clear on this topic in the book of Romans. The Bible is very clear on this topic. 
Whatever you sell yourself out to, or in essence, whatever you choose to obey, that's what has, that, that's who is your master. That's who is your master. If your natural reflex, if your natural tendency, when you get in the middle of a difficult situation, when you get in the middle of a tight spot, if your natural reaction is to lie in order to get yourself out of that tight spot, lying is your master. If your first reaction when somebody fails you or disappoints you or upsets you is bitterness and negativity toward that person, then hatred and anger is your master. If when you are left alone for one minute, and I don't mind, an idle hand is the devil's playground. If you are left alone for one minute and you find yourself drawn to that inappropriate website or that inappropriate magazine or that inappropriate whatever, then lust is your master. That's what the Bible says. Every alcoholic, every alcoholic needs to understand it was not the alcohol that caused them to do whatever it is they were doing, it's the fact that the alcohol was their master. And they could do nothing but obey because they were slaves. Every time you tell God, I'll never do it again, only to turn right around and do the same thing over again, you're a slave. You're a slave. And a slave has no freedom. A slave has no family. A slave has no rights. A slave has no future. A slave has no hope. A slave has no purpose. A slave has no identity. You are a slave. You're a slave. Now let's, let's be honest, a couple of verses earlier he talks about the hired servants in a very respectable way. Even the hired servants have enough food and to spare and I'm dying of hunger. He talks about, you know what, this is terrible what I'm doing right here. I am literally dying, physically dying here and the slaves at home have it better than me. So yes, when we're talking about the pigsty... To being a slave, there was an upgrade there. But that's not the point of the message. The point of the message is, in order for him to have made that upgrade, he had to get downgraded. Something happened in between him being a son to being a slave. Somewhere in the middle, he lost his sonship. And now, he's a slave. Let me put it to you like this. I have no doubt that the prodigal's father... Just like many parents who lose a child or whose children go off somewhere uh, uh, far away to live for months, they leave their room exactly the way it was when they left. I guarantee you it was exactly how he left it and his things were in its place. 
But I want you to understand, no longer could the prodigal son go into his room and enjoy the things that were there. Now the prodigal son could only go into the room and clean it because he was a slave. No longer was that his room. That was his old self. That was his former self. That version of him was gone. The son was dead and now he's a slave. Never to inhabit those parts of his life again. Never to inhabit those parts of his life again. Sin took the son and turned him into a slave. Sin took the son... And turned him into a slave. Now, I want you to know something very interesting here. There's been discussion uh, over the years about the salvation of this prodigal. Was he saved? Was he lost? Is this a rededication or a redemption story? Or is this a regeneration and a salvation story what is this really in my opinion you don't have to agree but in my opinion he could not have been named a son if he wasn't regenerated a lost person doesn't become a son until they get to know jesus and we'll get to some things a little bit later that we'll talk about But this individual, regardless of whether this is a salvation message or not, had lost a part of who he was and was now a slave. Do you know how many Christian people today, people that go to church, some of them read their Bible, some of them pray, some of them try their very best. Do you know how many Christian people are still in bondage to the world? One of the most amazing passages and teachings that really hit home to me, I believe, was in, num was in Numbers either 11, 12, or 14. I can't remember the exact number. 11, 12, or 14. God had delivered... Not only delivered Israel out of Egypt, which was a picture of the world. Not only had they crossed the Red Sea and God taken care of them, led them to the promised land. And then there was all these murmurings and, and stuff about the, the, the giants and all the things that were to be conquered in the land of Canaan. And they were turned away and they went into the wilderness. But in Numbers, we get to this portion where they say, Somebody just wakes up and he says, you know, I just remember that back in Egypt, we had everything we could possibly ever desire. We had fish and onion. The Bible says this. We had oil. We had all of these. I mean, we just had food and food to spare. And we're out here, and yes, the Lord is sending down manna from heaven, and he's making water come from rocks and trees, and he's, he's cleansing whole streams and rivers so that we can drink, and he's providing. But I'm sick and tired of manna and water. You know what? 
Was Egypt really so bad? Was Egypt really so bad? Those people were slaves to the world. Those people were slaves to a false reality. Thankfully, the prodigal son waked up, woke up, excuse me, from that false reality and realized how wrong he was. But folks, there are Christians to this very day that struggle, that struggle with things because they're enslaved to them. There are Christians this very day who struggle with lust, pornography, lying, cheating, stealing. They struggle to this day with alcohol, with depression, with anxiety, with things that the Bible clearly has an answer for. Because there's something they are still enslaved to. And I'm just here to enforce this one point. I don't have three. I only have one. I'm here to enforce this one point. It was sin that took the son and turned him into a slave. If you're in bondage to something, which means that thing, whatever it is, controls you. You don't have a choice. This is your natural reaction. You are a slave because somewhere in your life, there is a sin that has not been dealt with. There is a sin that has not been dealt with. And the prodigal is asking this very question. You know, the sin that I have laid upon my father, the sin that I have so wrongly destroyed my life and destroyed my family, the very sin that caused me to go from son to slave was pride, envy, jealousy, Greed, lust. I was just selfish. Anger and hate and bitterness. I was selfish and I wanted to do things my way and not God's way. I wanted to do things my way, not the Father's way. I wanted to do things my way and not the Word's way. Like... People in this life wonder why things are so messed up for them. They wonder why they have such a hard time. When the Bible tells you to do this and you do the opposite, what do you expect? What do you expect? This goes to me too. There are some things in our lives that we pick up that we should never have even laid our eyes on. There are some things in our life like the Word of God that we put down that we should have never let go. It will take us and make us slaves to something. Now listen, people get confused and I don't want you to be confused. I believe the son was always a part of the family of God in this narrative. Never was there a time when he was not in the narrative. But here's the thing. What he wanted controlled his actions. 
It might not have controlled his his uh, relationship to the Father. It might not have controlled the blood that ran through his veins. But I'm going to tell you something. It controlled his actions. And he was a slave. He obeyed. He forgot his rationality. He forgot his thinking. He couldn't think through things. He forgot the teaching of his Father. He forgot the words of God. He left because he was enticed by the chains that now bound him. When God says in his word, don't do this, he doesn't, he doesn't say that to take away your pleasure. God's not against pleasure. God's not against us being merry and having a good time. God's not against us being happy. But he puts boundaries on our pleasure and he puts boundaries on our happiness and he puts boundaries on these things so that we don't hurt ourselves. When God says in his word, don't do this, what he really means is don't hurt yourself. I don't care how much weight you can lift. I don't care how many psychology books you've read. I don't care what level of education you have. You will always be weak and susceptible to the things of this world. That's why God wrote us a book. Telling us which things to embrace. And which things to leave alone. Listen, I'm not. this is not a complicated thing. Sin took the son and turned him into a slave. Sin took the son and turned him into a slave. Mm -hmm. Listen. Every adulterous action started with sin. The adultery is the ultimate culmination of all these things that have happened. But sin is where it started. There was a look that was too long. There was a lust, a thought. There was something that was going on that led to a betrayal of marriage. Every lie. Every lie starts off with a sin. Every theft. Starts off with a sin. Whether it be. Greed. Envy. Jealousy. Whatever the case is. Everything has a root. Satan never tempts you with adultery. Because if he just came flat out and tempted you with adultery, you would probably have enough power to resist. No, no, no. He works himself up to adultery. He starts you off with lust. He never tempts you right off the bat with theft. He starts off with envy and jealousy and greed. He never tempts you right off the bat with lying. He starts off with fear and doubt and uh, 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 discomfort. He starts off with something that you're not ready for because you're a slave to this world. How was it that the prodigal's brother stayed, but the prodigal left? 
How was it that one brother was enticed by the world and the next one wasn't? One was prepared to listen to the Father. One wasn't. One was prepared to sin. One wasn't. One was disillusioned by the lies that Satan tells. The other one wasn't. Sin took the son and turned him into a slave. And when he became a slave, he was powerless against the things that he... Look, in the highlight of what he was doing, in the highlight of what he was doing, there wouldn't have been a preacher on this planet that could have come up to him and said, you need to realize what's happening. You need to stop. Yeah, there probably were some people that might have tried, but they were they fell on deaf ears. You know why? Because he was in the middle of this ecstasy, of this lifestyle, and he was a slave to it. All the while, little bits and pieces of his sonship began to just fade into the distance. What are you bound to? You're a slave, you know. What are you bound to? The next time that inappropriate website pops up on your computer, on your phone, will you have enough strength to say, Lord, I'm not doing this. This is not right. What happens the next time that opportunity to lie comes into your head to save your own skin? Well, you have the power to say, God, I'm not doing this this time. What happens the next time an opportunity to be bound to the flesh comes your way? Well, you have enough power. I want you to tune in next week as we talk about facing the Father and realize that there's power. There's power in our blood, in the blood of Jesus. Thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week. Hope you have a great week and God bless.